you going to send long-range rocket systems to Ukraine? We're not going to send to Ukraine rocket systems that can strike into Russia. So that's from yesterday, President Biden rejecting that request to give Ukraine long-range rockets that could stop the advance of Putin's forces in eastern Ukraine. They could also hit targets inside Russia, which could raise concerns about moves that could provoke Putin. Dan Hoffman studied the issue closely, CIA station chief in Moscow, now a Fox News contributor. And Dan, good morning to you. Nice to have you on here. Um, do you agree with this decision? Uh, no, I don't. We are at a pivotal moment right now in Russia's barbaric war against Ukraine, uh, where Russia enjoys an advantage in artillery, and they're using that advantage to rain down hell on uh, southern and eastern Ukraine, particularly the city of Severodonetsk, which is under assault. Ukraine needs that uh, multiple launch rocket system, the MLRS, and it's uh, quite telling that the Biden administration is determined that uh, kowtowing to Vladimir Putin outweighs keeping Ukraine in the fight, especially given the fact that Russia has indiscriminately bombed neighborhoods uh, and, and schools uh, and, of course, the maternity ward in, in Mariupol uh, and caused a humanitarian crisis with 7 million refugees. Uh, they've caused a global food shortage by blockading uh, the, the Black Sea, the list goes on. And by doing this, we are, we are hurting Ukraine's chances of, of staying in the fight and ultimately winning the war. Dan, why has the president consistently said out loud what we will or will not do? Why is that? It, it, you know, I think sometimes the president is speaking, uh, maybe just saying what he thinks, what's on his mind. He's, he's giving Putin essentially uh, kind of preemptive concessions. He's telling Putin what we won't do, uh, rather than just proceeding with what really makes the most sense for our national security. I certainly can't explain what's inside the president's head on this one. I hope that in the coming days that the administration is held accountable uh, by our uh, media. Uh, during uh, the upcoming uh, White House press briefings and such, because I think this is an issue that, that really we need to focus on Okay, closely. so in, in your experience, would there be a backdoor channel between Washington and Moscow on what is, a, what is acceptable and what is not, given the state of this war? And, and I think the, the proper way to use the back channel, at least in my estimation, would be for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Milley, who's been in touch with his counterpart, that's the uh, Russian Army Chief of Staff, Gerasimov, uh, and Secretary uh, of, of Defense, Austin, has been in touch reportedly with the Russian Ministry of Defense, Shoigu, uh, simply to tell them that we're going to give Ukraine this uh, MLRS system, that Ukraine is going to use it uh, to defend themselves on their territory, that we've counseled Ukraine not to strike targets in Russia. At the end of the day, if Ukraine strikes targets in Russia, I don't think we should be held accountable for that. I think that's what we should have told the Russians. Perhaps there's some intelligence out there that has caused the Biden administration uh, to be very wary about providing this system. It does have a range of roughly 200 miles, which would get it into Russian territory. But again, given all of the attacks of, that Russia has launched on Ukraine, they're using thermobaric weapons, which cause uh, damage that, that uh, gets around physical barriers. I mean, I just don't understand how our administration officials can put their heads to the pillow at night without doing all that they can to help Ukraine defend their innocent civilians being ruthlessly targeted. Uh, with regard to the food that comes out of Ukraine, normally Milley was quoted as saying, we don't have any U.S. naval vessels in the Black Sea. 
We don't intend to unless directed. It's a no-go for commercial shipping. Uh, that's the status of that at the moment. What the status of Putin is health-wise is still a, um, a source of rampant speculation. Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister over the weekend, said President Putin appears in public every day. Uh, this is a quote now. You can see him on the screens, read his speeches, listen to his speeches. I don't think, Lavrov said, I don't think sane people can discern any sort of symptom of disease in this man, end quote. So the speculation goes on. What do you make of that, Dan? It goes on, and I'll tell you, uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov is a mouthpiece of the Kremlin's propaganda. So he was told to say what he said, probably by Vladimir Putin, who has grown weary uh, of these rumors. There's no indication that Vladimir Putin has cancer or Parkinson's or any other things that, that, that he's been rumored to have. It's certainly not beyond the realm of possibility, but... You know, he, the best evidence we have is that he continues to conduct his affairs of state, which means raining down hell on Ukraine, uh, you know, without any interruption. He's just recently uh, abrogated the, the law where Russian uh, conscripts or Russian military services is limited in age. Now anyone can serve in the Russian military, which is kind of a sign that, that his special operation isn't going according to plan. So for sure, he's probably feeling some stress. I'm sure that CIA leadership analysts are tracking very closely uh, his health. He has had back problems reportedly from having practiced judo. I think anybody who's, who's done that martial arts probably understands that. But this is just something we have to continue to track. Mm -hmm. Dan, thank you. Nice to see you again today. We'll talk soon. Dan Hoffman. You too. Thanks. So is there a potential game changer now in the fight against Putin's army, the U.S. sending advanced rocket systems to Ukraine as the Russian invasion enters fourth month? Moscow says the weapons transfer is provocative. The Pentagon pushing back on that suggestion. President Biden has made clear uh, we have no uh, intention of, of coming into direct conflict uh, with Russia. We don't have an interest in the conflict in Ukraine widening uh, to, a, to a broader conflict or evolving into World War III. The Russians can end this conflict anytime they want. If they are wary of escalation, they, it, all it takes is one man to say stop. General Jack Keane with me now, sir. Good morning to you. So the way I understand it, these medium-range rockets can travel up about 40, 50 miles. We have longer-range rockets that can travel about 160, 170 miles. It will take upwards of a month to train the Ukrainians to use the medium-range rockets. Um, in the end, is that helpful or is that too late in your view? Well, it took far too long for the United States to say yes to what I thought was an obvious request. Listen, we've given the Ukrainians over 100 uh, howitzers, artillery systems. But the problem we have is that the Russians are relying on their artillery. It is the one system that is truly working for them. Their ground maneuver systems, armor and infantry, weak, poorly led, underperforming. Artillery is significant in terms of the numbers. They outnumber the Ukrainians and they outrange them. And it's those long-range artillery that we're trying, the Ukrainians are trying to get to. And that's why they want these systems, because of the range that they have. And 40 miles starts to get at that problem. The, the concern, I think it, it took an awful long time to make this decision, 
Uh, I think it should have been made way back when we were making the howitzer decision, knowing full well the Russians had long-range artillery. And by the way, mm -hmm. the Russians have a lot of multiple rocket launchers themselves that they use to devastating the impact on the Ukrainians. It's very much an artillery war here, Bill, and that is what has been grinding down the Ukrainians. They've had a really rough week here with the Russians taking control of the city of Severodonetsk, and, and likely when that completely collapses, the entire Luhansk province of the Donbass region will now be under Russian control. So yes, this is a step in the right direction. I don't from that, I don't think it'll take three weeks to train Ukrainians on a system like that. I think you could train Ukrainians like that in a number of hours to get them to do it. It's a simple system wow. to work. The issue is where are those systems? I think they're already in Europe. Get the training done, get them in the hands of the Ukrainians mm -hmm. as quickly as possible and see if we can get them more systems than the four that we're providing. Mm -hmm. Uh, last point here. Um, we are told the Russians make progress. Slow progress, but progress is still progress. There was a piece filed two days ago that says we must admit that Russia is winning this war and Ukraine is losing it. Do you agree? No, I don't agree with that. Um, the are they grinding down the Ukrainians in the south? Yes. Have they changed their tactics? Yes. When they went into the Donbass region, they made the same mistake. This is the Russians that they did when they were trying to attack the whole country at one time. And they were attacking in the Donbass region on four axes. Now they're attacking one city only and they're being very deliberate about it. So they have changed their tactics. It has helped them. But the Ukrainians are currently conducting a counterattack in Kyrgyzstan, a city the Russians are owning, and they own the suburbs, and the Ukrainians are pushing back successfully. The issue in front of us, to answer your question fully, is will the Ukrainians be able to mount counterattacks and counteroffensive to take territory back. Can they generate the combat power to do them? The loss of several Donas has hurt them, has hurt their morale, and that's a fact. But I do believe that the Ukrainians have the will to push back. And whether they'll be able to do that or not remains to be seen. It's going to be very challenging. But the, when, they, when it comes to actual units fighting, uh, Ukrainian units fighting Russian units, the Ukrainian units are by far better at that fight. And we'll see how this unfolds. We shall. General, nice to see you. Jack Keane, thanks for coming on today. Thank you. Yeah, good talking to you, Bill. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News' YouTube page and catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. You will not get it anywhere else. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, this is a Fox News alert facing almost certain defeat for his party in the midterm elections five months from now. Joe Biden has become desperate. He's decided to leverage the murder of 19 children in Texas last week for political advantage. He just spoke at some length from the White House about the need to disarm the population. We're going to spare you all of it. We've taken a, a few select sound bites that sum up the president's message. Here they are. Second Amendment, like all other rights, is not absolute. This isn't about taking anyone's rights. It's about protecting children. It's about protecting families. It's about protecting whole communities. It's about protecting our freedoms to go to school, to a grocery store, to a church, without being shot and killed. We need to ban assault weapons in high-capacity magazines. And if we can't ban assault weapons, then we should raise the age to purchase them from 18 to 21. 
strengthen background checks, enact safe storage law and red flag laws, repeal the immunity that protects gun manufacturers from liability, address the mental health crisis, deepening the trauma of gun violence and as a consequence of that violence. These are rational, common-sense measures. And if Congress fails, I believe this time a majority of the American people won't give up either. I believe the majority of you will act. So to summarize the president's remarks tonight, your constitutional rights are not absolute, but in taking them away, we're not actually taking away your rights. We're protecting children, to which you might ask, am I a threat to children? That question is never answered by the president. The point of this, of course, is to disarm people who did not vote for Joe Biden. And that is why simultaneous with this, this effort to recategorize the guns in your closet as felonies, Democrats have been failing to prosecute gun crimes in our cities where most of the crime is. And if you're at all confused about whether the effort here is selective. If this is enforcement only at certain people, you'll notice the president never mentioned the apparent federal gun felony his own son committed when he lied on a federal background form when he bought a handgun. Didn't mention that. Justice Department has completely ignored it. Instead, Biden's fellow Democrats in the House of the Representatives spent the day debating ways to disarm you, Americans who've committed no crime at all and want only to protect themselves and their families. Democrats plan to criminalize possession of what they're calling large capacity ammunition feeding devices. That is specifically any magazine that can hold more than 10 rounds of ammunition. Well, as it turns out, that is most magazines in the United States. Tens of millions of Americans right now have so-called high capacity magazines in their homes. They're not militia members. They're not gun nuts. They are normal people. And the reason they have them is because most modern handguns and rifles use that type of magazine, the kind that Joe Biden is telling you is threatening and esoteric. And these same firearms, the ones in your house right now, will not accept the kind of diminished magazines Joe Biden is demanding you use. And that means, in effect, all of those guns will be banned. Which guns specifically? Well, for example, the Glock 19, probably the most popular handgun in the United States. The Glock 19 comes from the manufacturer with a 15-round magazine. Now, the Glock 19 is not an especially scary firearm. It's a workmanlike pistol. If you have any interest in guns at all, you probably already own one. But under this bill, the Glock 19 would be banned, illegal, a felony sitting in your bedside table. And so would many other popular firearms in the United States. Now, this is about saving the children, Joe Biden just told us. But how many lives would this new law save? Well, we know the answer. Zero. Not one. And we know that because there is precisely no evidence at all and never has been that larger magazines somehow inspire mass shootings. But of course, saving lives is not the point of this. Disarming you is the point. Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe tried to explain that at a hearing today of the House Judiciary Committee. Watch how this unfolded. Here's a gun I carry every single day to protect myself, my family, my wife, my home. Comes with a 15-round magazine. Here's a seven-round magazine, which would be less than what would be lawful under this bill if this bill were to come law. It doesn't fit. So this gun would be banned. I hope the, the gun is not loaded. I'm at my house. I can do whatever I want with my guns. So you heard a voice in the background. Greg Stubbe obviously knows his way around firearms. That was his gun. 
But off camera, you heard Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas interrupting Greg Stubbe to tell him how to handle the firearm in his own home. So is Sheila Jackson Lee a gun instructor? Now, what does she know about firearms? Well, glad you asked. Sheila Jackson Lee is the person who once explained to us that AR-15 shoot 50 caliber rounds and weigh more than, quote, 10 boxes, whatever that means. So Sheila Jackson Lee knows literally nothing about firearms, and yet she plans, without shame, to regulate them. But only regulate your guns. Sheila Jackson Lee has no intention of disarming her own bodyguards, for example, or her own constituents. The Democrats' bill contains an explicit exemption for bodyguards. Even Sheila Jackson Lee understands that the people protecting her family may need a lot more than 10 rounds. And most of them carry that. As the Washington Post put it, quote, American law enforcement officers ubiquitously carry handguns with more than 10 rounds of ammunition and often more than 15. It is also why their rifles typically have 20 or 30 round magazines, not 10. Now, why would Sheila Jackson Lee's bodyguards need all of those bullets? Why would anybody need all of those bullets, as Chuck Schumer often asks rhetorically? And the answer, of course, is because it's a dangerous world. And if you're serious about protecting the people you love, you will be serious about the firearm you carry. But it turns out, we know this for a fact now, Democrats are not serious about protecting you or your family. And that's why they defunded your police and called you a racist for complaining about it as your city collapsed. What they care about deeply, what they care about more than anything at all, is protecting themselves. And that's why their bodyguards will continue to get any kind of magazines they want. And what they want are high-capacity magazines. Democrats spent the rest of the day trying to figure out how to ban what Joe Biden has called ghost guns. Ghost guns, they're scary. Well, several states, it turns out, have already tried to ban ghost guns, but every state that has has run into the same problem. No one can say what a ghost gun is. It's a made-up term. It has no meaning. As a judge in Nevada put it late last year when he struck down a ban on so-called ghost guns, quote, Nevadans would face the risk of discriminatory enforcement by police and prosecutors alike as they, in their sole discretion and without guidance, could label almost anything an unfinished frame or receiver if it in any way resembles a firearm's undefined frame or lower receiver. In other words, any gun could be a ghost gun if Democratic operatives say it is. And of course, that's the way they like it. The bill before Congress defines ghost gun as a firearm, including certain firearm parts, that does not have a unique serial number engraved by a licensed manufacturer. Okay. But the question is, which part of a firearm should require engraved serial numbers? That's the question. On that question hangs whether or not your possession of this object is a felony or legal. Now, according to the bill, any, quote, essential component of the firearm would require an engraved serial number. But here's the point. Merrick Garland gets to make the call. This bill grants Merrick Garland, who is a craven and ruthless partisan, we know that for a fact at this point, grants Merrick Garland the sole authority to define what an essential component is. And if Merrick Garland decides you've got a, quote, essential component that does not have an engraved serial number, you're going to jail. See how this works? So once again, the point is not to stop school shootings. There's never been a school shooting with a so-called ghost gun. If you were interested in stopping school shootings, and all of us should be, you would take a serious look at why they happen in the first place. What do the people who commit them have in common? But no one in Congress, particularly on the Democratic side, is doing that. So this isn't an attempt to stop school shootings. It's not an attempt to make this a safer country. This is exactly what it looks like. 
the beginning of a plan to confiscate and criminalize firearms in the hands of the law-abiding in this country. And if you doubt that, know that Nancy Pelosi has already announced she's going to introduce legislation banning so-called assault weapons next week. Oh, assault weapons. What's an assault weapon? Any gun that Nancy Pelosi's bodyguards have that you should not be allowed to have. And there's also a new, quote, red flag law in progress. Now, that law would allow the government to seize firearms from anybody it wants, whether or not they committed a crime. Now, under our current system, you have to be convicted in order to be punished. But under the red flag laws, if someone doesn't like the cut of your jib, you lose your constitutional rights. Now, that's baldly unconstitutional. And you know it is because Democrats are suddenly talking about packing the Supreme Court in order to make it law. Watch. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. You will not stop us from passing it in the House next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it. And we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. Each and every day, we will do whatever it takes to end gun violence, whatever it takes. Uh-huh. In our communities. Really, what's the murder rate in your community, pal? And what exactly have you done to make it better? <laughs> Nothing. Mondaire Jones wants power, they all do, and to that end, he wants to end the filibuster, destroy the entire judiciary to, quote, end gun violence. A move like that raises a lot of questions. For example, does Mondaire Jones have any idea what he's talking about? Like, the details, because you're a lawmaker. Fox's Hillary Vaughn caught up with him today. She wanted to know what weapons of war he intends to ban. This is a revealing exchange. Watch this. Here's what he said. You mentioned you want weapons of war out of circulation. What is a weapon of war to you? Assault weapons. Assault weapons. So is that like semi-automatic handguns and rifles? Semi-automatic weapons would qualify as assault weapons. And these are things that should be banned. You almost take almost every gun off of, out of people's hands. I mean, true. I mean, handguns, for example, would not qualify uh, under, under what I just described. I got I'm sorry, I gotta okay. go. So, yes, Mondaire Jones just explained, yeah, all semi-automatic weapons, which Hillary Vaughn says, yeah, handguns, yeah, handguns. So you want to take everyone's handguns away? No, all handguns wouldn't qualify as assault weapons, even though he just defined assault weapons as any, quote, semi-automatic weapon. So clearly, Mondaire Jones knows what Hillary Vaughn was trying to tell him, that most firearms in this country, including most handguns, are, quote, semi-automatic weapons, including only have 22 calibers that aren't causing a ton of school shootings. But when Hillary Vaughn points this out, Mondaire Jones runs away, and probably not back to his district to lower the murder rate. He just didn't want to get into details. So what are we looking at here? Well, today, a guy on Twitter called Spike Cohen summed it up pretty nicely. Here's what he wrote, quote, the U.S. government has been arming Ukraine because they're allies. The U.S. government has been seeking to disarm Russia because they're opponents. In totally unrelated news, the U.S. government seeks to disarm you. Well, exactly. That's the framing. That's the truth. Anyone who tries to disarm you, by definition, considers you an enemy. That's what you do to your enemies. You disarm them. Your friends, your allies, your children, people you love, why would you want to prevent them from defending themselves? You never would. You certainly wouldn't scream at them from the podium about how they're killing children if they want to protect their own families. That's what you do to your enemies. And yet somehow, 
a lot of Republicans, particularly in leadership, Mitch McConnell specifically, but a lot of others, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, don't seem to understand this, or maybe they do. As I just mentioned, there does seem to be something more nefarious going on here. Like they, they want you to lock yourself down almost. After more than two years of a lot of people largely staying home due to the pandemic, most Americans were ready to hit the road. But according to a new report by Morning Consult, the inflation and record-breaking gas prices are more responsible for keeping folks from their vacations this summer than COVID. Here now is Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, Fox News contributor, author of Defeating Big Government Socialism. Newt, it's American as apple pie, the idea of hopping in your car and just taking a summer road trip, whether you're single or whether you're married, you have kids. That's part of the American experience. That's being deteriorated right now. Sure. I mean, look, every aspect of American life is being deteriorated right now. Uh, one lady uh, was reported from Washington, Pennsylvania, saying she has to go to four or five stores to find baby formula, and she can't afford the gasoline to mm -hmm. go to four or five stores. So these, these become compounding disasters. Uh, you have a rising crime rate. You have nutcake left-wing DAs who won't keep people locked up. So the cities become worse. You have an administration, and I, I think the earlier conversation was exactly right. The, the big difference was not personality. Bill Clinton made a decision in the fall of 1995 that in order to get reelected, he would sell out the left, move to the center, sign welfare reform, sign a balanced budget, do whatever it took, because he understood if he didn't change his policies, words weren't going to work. These people can't change who they are. And they're in the middle of a disaster. It's going to get worse at every level. Uh, Governor of Pennsylvania just signed an executive order that will punish Western Pennsylvania for producing natural gas. This is at a time, by the way, when, when the Marcellus Shale has 400 years supply sitting right there in Pennsylvania. But the governor can't get out of it because his left would rather punish Pennsylvanians in the name of their ideology. Uh, and I think you're going to see this across the board. I don't think they can change. And I think if they try to change, their party will have a civil war. And apparently, new this is all extremely hilarious to Joe Biden. Watch this. When are gas prices going to start coming down? Record high today. We're in a situation where, you know, because of a war in, uh, in Ukraine, gas prices and food prices are extremely high. The idea we're going to be able to, you know, click a switch, bring down the cost of gasoline is not likely in the near term, nor is it with regard to food. That's a winning message for the midterms, isn't it, New? This morning well, in America, yeah, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. That's right. Look, look, th this is a left-wing Jimmy Carter. I mean, Carter was incompetent, but he was sort of rational. Uh, Biden is incompetent, and he's committed to a set of values that are wrong. I, my guess is he's deep, deep down, he likes higher gasoline prices. It you drives bet. people towards so, some kind of new approach. He doesn't care about the price of food. Why are you eating beef anyway? Uh, you know, you could be a vegan. Everything would be less expensive. Or you could have a victory garden at home. Um, he cares more about taking care of illegal immigrants than he does about taking care of Americans. And the result is the federal government was competing 
for baby formula to take care of illegal immigrants against Americans who couldn't find the baby formula. So you go down this list, and it's, it's not a problem of performance. It's a problem of core big government socialist values that are antithetical to the American future and to the average American. It's a, it's a genuine crisis of the system. Newt, I've said this before, and I would love your take on this. To me, it seems the only way the Democrat Party might reexamine its priorities now, its values right now, is it like a 1984-style wipeout in 2024 and a really significant wipeout in the midterms? It might not even take—midterms might not be enough. It would have to be a cataclysmic defeat for them in 2024, where New England states go, maybe we get some Rocky Mountain states uh, for, the, for the next presidential election. Your thoughts on that? No, I think that's exactly right. We're, we are really in the fourth great wave. Reagan in 80 was the first— we were the second in 1994. In 2010, in the House, the results were actually bigger than in 94. John Boehner's team got uh, 64 seats. We got 53. This is the fourth big wave in this direction. And again, what happens is the Democrats go off the rails. The truth is that, that Obama was as anti-petroleum, as anti-gasoline and diesel fuel and heating oil as Biden is. Uh, and it led to a rebellion. Uh, because people understood it. Uh, and I think what you're faced with now, the only hope for the American future to return to sanity is a huge Republican victory this fall, followed by a Republican Party behaving like a right. genuine reform party, as we did, and then followed by a presidential election, which is cataclysmic for the Democrats. Hit the At ground that running. point, although remember, it took the... It took the Republicans from 1932 into the 1950s to finally come to grips with the reality of FDR. It, it right. could easily take an entire generation uh, for the Democrats to figure out they can't be this crazy and expect to ever win again. Newt, great to see you. Thanks so much. More on this is bringing Carl Rove. Carl, good morning to you. Hey, Got to go through a couple things here because you you, uh, you filed a rebuttal of sorts. All right. Uh, two days ago, Joe Biden wrote in the Wall Street Journal. The headline is "My Plan for Fighting Inflation." Uh, some debated whether or not there was a plan in that piece. You responded today, saying Biden has no plan to fight inflation. Here's your final line. What Democrats will discover this November is you can't talk or write your way out of a mess, Mr. President. Ultimately, a chief executive wins or loses public confidence because of his record. On inflation, yours is lousy, and your op-ed ain't a plan either. <clears throat> Explain. Well, here's, here's what his article was. He said, everything is good, the economy is really good, and it's because of my policies on the economy and vaccination. And my point was, people don't feel that it's good. And they also think that to the degree that the economy has come back with jobs and growth, it's because we're re naturally recovering from the end of the pandemic shutdowns. And frankly, they don't credit the president. That's why we have terrible numbers on the on approval of his handling of the economy, only 35% approved, and why we have the lowest economic confidence index, according to Gallup, since we had near the end of the Great Recession in 2009. He says, I got a plan. I got a plan. Some of it's repetitive. Uh, we're going to work on uh, doing something about those uh, supply chains, and we're going to do something about infrastructure. Well, haven't you 
didn't we pass a bill on infrastructure in November? And haven't you been working on supply chains since you got into office? And then he recycled all these spending programs. Lawrence was absolutely right. The, the argument is, is we're going we're gonna to pass green new energy. We're going to pass... Uh, child care, elder care, a whole bunch of social programs to take to take money out of the pockets of, of most Americans and give it to some Americans, and that's going to lower the cost for them. That ain't a plan. And then he he made these claims: I reduced the deficit, which is which got him three Pinocchios from the Washington Post when he first said it. And then he finally, at the end, he says, oh, let's have an open and honest de debate between Republicans and Democrats, a discussion to work this out after he slams the Republicans with something that also won him critical comment from the Washington Post fact checkers. It was bad, but I found out this morning it's even worse than I thought it was. This morning, this is the headline in the Washington Post, Biden's fantastical claim of $500 in annual utility savings. In his article, he says, Utility executives told me that if they pass my green energy plan, you'll have $500 less a year in utility costs. Well, first of all, he didn't hear it from utility executives. Somebody in the White House read it in a report. The report is not about utility costs. The savings are on uh, us all getting electric cars and not paying for gas. And it's an estimate for 2030 when he won't even be in office. So. The president got three Pinocchios today from the Washington Post for that. Who, where are the fact checkers of the White House? Where is the person who says, you know what, we can't have the president of the United States go out there and say something that is fundamentally untrue. Why don't we get this right? In fact, the White House is, is saying that this is a president that's been obsessed with tackling inflation and bringing down gas prices. If that's the case, his plan has not been working. And Carl, you go back just two days ago when he published this piece or this blueprint for fixing the economy in the Wall Street Journal, and gas prices have only gone up 10 more cents since then. Okay, so that the messaging certainly isn't working. But the question at this point, when you see these record high prices, Carl, is should anyone be surprised? You rewind to this moment on the debate stage when President Biden and uh, President Trump debated the future of the oil industry. Listen. Would you close down the oil industry? By the way, I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I will transition. That is a big statement. That's a because big statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh, I see. And here's the deal. But That's a big statement. That. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And now there's reports from Bloomberg that the, the president's planning a trip to Saudi Arabia. Uh, I don't know, to potentially increase oil output abroad rather than here at home, but he, he broadcast this pretty clearly back in 2020. Oh, he was even more explicit in the Democratic debates. He said, absolutely, we're going to stop, uh, uh, shut down the oil and gas industry. I mean, and, and think about this. He doesn't need to go to Saudi Arabia. He's already been begging the Saudis and the, and, 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 and the oil producers in the, in the Middle East to pick up the slack from the United States. We, he, has taken a, he has taken a series of steps that have been designed to shut down reduce the amount of oil and gas production in the United States and stop exploration. Just a couple of weeks ago, they took a huge amount of offshore leasing uh, possibilities off the table and said you can't do it. They're leasing 20% of what they should be leasing 
and, and uh, offshore and onshore, they have basically failed to meet a federal law that requires them to put up a certain amount of acreage each year for leasing. They, they're violating the law. So, yeah, this is a deliberate effort to shut down the American oil and gas industry. And, 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 and does anybody think that the people in the Middle East are as environmentally sensitive as we are in this country and in, in how we produce oil and gas and how we refine it? Heck no. But, but this is where we are with this administration. They don't have a plan. They think they can communicate their way out of it. They think we're dumb enough to buy this, and we ain't buying it. Yeah. Our technology has come so far. Carl, thank you, sir. Yeah. Talk again. Check it you out. Bet. Wall Street Journal. It's in black and white thank today. You, Carl. Thank you, Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. It was a week ago today that a deranged teenager called Salvador Ramos murdered 19 children and two teachers in an elementary school in Texas. You know this because we've had seven days of full saturation coverage and it's all deserved. Given that, it's amazing what we still don't know about what happened that day. Let's start just because it's the most obvious with how the shooter could possibly have afforded the firearms he used. Salvador Ramos was 18 years old. He worked part-time at the drive-thru at a local Wendy's. Yet police say he had at least $4,000 of brand new weapons, including two AR-15 rifles, 1,600 rounds of 5.56 ammunition, a ballistic vest, and 60 magazines. One of Ramos's rifles was a high-end model manufactured by a company called Daniel Defense. According to a receipt that Ramos posted in a private message, that gun cost $2,000, and he paid in full. Now, Ramos could have bought effectively the very same rifle at any gun store for a third of the cost. But apparently, to Ramos, price was no object. That's pretty weird. If police know where Ramos got the money to buy one of the most expensive AR-15s on the market, they're not telling us. Nor, for that matter, have they explained why they lied about the most basic facts of the shooting. For the first 24 hours, they told us that a school resource officer fired at the gunman. He, quote, engaged Ramos. But they must have known at the time they said it that that was not true. They must have known the, re the resource officer was not even at the school when Ramos arrived. But they told us otherwise. Why'd they do that? And by the way, how long was Ramos outside the school firing his gun at people at a nearby funeral home before he went inside and killed children? That seems like a fairly simple question, certainly an important question. Last week, authorities told us that Ramos was outside the school for 10 to 12 minutes. Here's the claim. We got a crash and a man with a gun. And you have responding officers. That's what it is. If it's 12 minutes from 1130 to 1140, that's the information we have. 12 minutes from 1130 to 1140. That's the information we have, quote. But that information is clearly wrong because 1130 to 1140 is not 10 minutes. The timeline matters. So what's the real timeline? Well, on Friday, the director of Texas DPS came up with a brand new timeline. Here it is. 11.28, the suspect vehicle crashes into the ditch, as previously described. The teacher runs to the room 132 to retrieve a phone, and that same te teacher walks back to the exit door, and door remains propped open. At 11.33, the suspect begins shooting into room 111 or 112. It's not possible to determine from the video angle that we have at this point in time. So actually, and that was the director of public safety in Texas, it was only five minutes that Ramos was outside shooting at people. Okay. But here's the key takeaway from that statement. Here's what they want you to believe. The back door to the school was open, 
because a teacher at the school left it open after going outside to retrieve a phone. So it's the teacher's fault that Ramos was able to get inside. That's what they said on Friday. But this, too, appears to be untrue. The Houston Chronicle is reporting tonight that surveillance footage of the school shows that the teacher slammed the door after running back inside. And, of course, that would make sense, since by this point, Ramos was firing his rifle. And that same teacher was using the phone in question to make a panicked call to 911. No one disputes that. So why did the authorities tell us otherwise? And for that matter, why did they initially deny that the on-scene police commander ordered cops to stand down and remain outside as children were being shot to death inside the school? On Thursday, a spokesman for Texas DPS called that account a rumor, quote. But there was videotape to show that it was true. It actually happened. So the next day, forced by the videotape, Texas DPS admitted the rumors were true. Watch. What efforts were the officers making to try and break either that door or another door get inside that classroom? None at that time. Why? Why? The, the on-scene commander at the time believed that it had transitioned from an active shooter to a barricaded subject. well aware of that. Obviously, obvi obviously, you know, based upon the information we have, there were children in that classroom that were at risk, and it was, in fact, still an active shooter situation and not a barricaded subject. But that's not really an explanation, of course, because no one disputes that everyone on the scene, including police, knew that Ramos had weapons, was firing them at people to kill people, and was inside the school with children. No one disputes that. So why did heavily armed police units decide not to stop Salvador Ramos from executing children? Now, that's not finger pointing to ask that question. These are very complicated circumstances. People are under immense pressure. People make mistakes. But we are making long-term policy decisions based on the specifics of what happened last week in Uvalde. Politicians across this country are calling for militarizing America's elementary schools. And yet they can't answer why the military force effectively outside this elementary school refused to stop the killing. So this massacre could have been prevented at some point. It was not prevented. Why was that? We should know the answer, but don't hold your breath. No one in power seems anxious to hold themselves accountable for what happened in Uvalde. And amazingly, and this is so perverse it's hard to believe it's true, but it is, some seem determined to make future school shootings more likely. In California, the state assembly just voted to end the requirement, the longstanding requirement that was put in place after school shootings, that schools alert law enforcement when students, quote, attack, assault, or physically threaten school officials. That's no longer in place. And according to the Democratic Party, that's a win for equity. We know this because the sponsor of the bill, a California state senator called Stephen Bradford, said so. Here's what he told The Daily Caller, quote, Black students, Latinx students, students of color and students with disabilities are disproportionately referred to law enforcement cited and arrested, end quote. So too many Latinx students in wheelchairs apparently are being blamed for school shootings. So there's no more violence reporting in California schools at all. So how does that help prevent the next school shooting? Well, of course, it doesn't. 
But it's starting to seem like helping prevent school shootings is not really the point of this exercise. Amassing more power is the point. And we know this from what's happening north of us. Canada's Botox dictator, Justin Trudeau, wasted no time in using the tragedy in the U.S. to his own political advantage in Canada. Now, Uvalde is more than 2,000 miles from Ottawa. But because of what Salvador Ramos was allowed to do in Texas, Canadians are no longer allowed to protect themselves. Justin Trudeau has introduced a bill that would ban Canadian citizens from buying, selling, and transferring handguns within their own country. Again, handguns were not the cause of the shooting in Uvalde. Uvalde is nowhere near Canada. And yet, Justin Trudeau is using that tragedy to disarm anyone who disagrees with him. By the way, that law would empower courts to confiscate guns from people, even if they've not committed a crime. Watch Justin Trudeau announce this power grab, and as you do watch, pay special attention to the masked toadies behind him nodding in unison. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. In other words, we're capping the market for handguns. What's actually happening here is that people like Justin Trudeau know that their rule is illegitimate. They know perfectly well how resented they are, and they spend an awful lot of time thinking about civil unrest. You probably don't. You live in a democracy, so you don't imagine that anyone needs to be disarmed for political reasons. But people like Justin Trudeau can feel the deep resentment aimed at them, and they are fully intent on disarming the population. Now, we reached out to Justin Trudeau's office today about this new law. We wanted to know if Trudeau will apply these laws to himself. That's always the first and most important test of, sin of sincerity. If it's good for me, it ought to be good for you, too, and vice versa. So, in this case, will Justin Trudeau's state-funded bodyguards be relinquishing their handguns? And how about their banned AR-15s? But, of course, we're not allowed to know the answer to that question because he's in power and we're not. Quote, we do not comment on matters related to the prime minister's security, his office responded. Meaning, of course not. Justin Trudeau isn't that stupid. He's going to continue to protect his own family. You're just not going to be allowed to protect yours in Canada. Now, here in the United States, as always, Democrats are watching very carefully what Trudeau is up to as they plan our future here. And already the rhetoric of the Democratic Party has changed for years. Democrats, Joe Biden, his supporters of the media have talked about banning AR-15s, the so-called weapons of war, which are not, in fact, used by any military. But weapons of war have been their focus. Watch. The venom of the haters and their weapons of war assault-style weapons that are weapons of war. And, and purchase these weapons of war. To get these weapons of war. Finally ridding our streets of weapons of war. What we should be doing is taking these weapons of war out of the hands of civilians. Because they see what these weapons of war do on the street. An assault weapon is a weapon of war with no place, no place in a civil society. They wouldn't know what end the bullet comes out of. They know nothing about this topic. They don't even know the basic crime stats. In the United States, rifles kill fewer people every year than fists or knives do. There's no effort afoot to ban knives or fists. But weapons of war have long been 
Their focus, meaning AR-15s, the single most popular self-defense rifle in the United States. Self-defense is the point. On Sunday, Congressman Adam Kinzinger has decided, and says it out loud, that in order for him to feel safe, we're going to need to confiscate your rifle because he feels unsafe. Watch. Congressman, you do still oppose a ban on the kind of assault weapons that were used in the shooting. Can you explain why private citizens need weapons of war? Look, I have opposed a ban, uh, you know, fairly recently. I, I think I'm open to a ban now. Can, can you explain, Congressman, why private citizens need weapons of war? Now, CNN anchors need to be surrounded by bodyguards with weapons of war because they're important. But you and your family? No, you don't need weapons of war. So for years, it's been about the AR-15. But things are changing. Joe Biden is now calling for a ban on the ubiquitous 9mm round. Watch this. A 9mm bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high-caliber weapons is of, there is simply no rational basis for it in terms of what is about self-protection, hunting. I mean, I just, I remember. The Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. You couldn't buy a cannon when the Second Amendment was back. So there's a guy who can't even recognize his own wife of 40 years in public lecturing us about what the rational basis is for this or that. Quote, there's simply no rational basis for the 9mm round in terms of self-protection. Well, of course, the opposite is true. The 9mm is the main self-protection round in the United States, along with the 5.56, the round used in the AR-15. Both of them are small rounds. People use them to protect their families. And if you take them away, Americans will no longer be able to defend themselves in the middle of a crime wave that was wholly manufactured by the same people who are trying to strip your guns from you. And that's, of course, the point. This is a power grab. And you can be certain that it is a power grab and not an effort to make this a safer country because the people who are calling for it are exempting themselves from its requirements once again. That is the acid test. If you're for a law, will it apply to you? Do Michael Bloomberg's bodyguards carry the dreaded 9mm or two two three rounds? Do they have high-capacity magazines? Do Nancy Pelosi's bodyguards, which you pay for, do Mitch McConnell's bodyguards carry those rounds? Well, we wanted to know. Why wouldn't we want to know? Why don't we have a right to know? So we emailed all three of their offices today. And unlike, we have to say, Justin Trudeau's office, none of them even bothered to reply to us. So obviously, they won't be disarming their own bodyguards. They'll keep their own weapons of war. In the meantime, they'll continue to pass legislation against weapons they know nothing about. They've been doing this for decades. We did a documentary on this, actually, and we spoke to probably the person who knows more about self-defense weapons than any living American, Hickok 45, one of the most popular figures on YouTube and truly an expert on the use of firearms for self-defense. Here's part of what he told us. And, and, of course, it has the, the famous uh, Tucker Carlson barrel shroud on it. Barrel shroud. Hickok 45 is referring to Congresswoman Carolyn McCarthy of New York, who famously didn't understand the firearm she was trying to ban. Do you know what a barrel shroud is? I actually don't know what a barrel shroud is. Oh, okay, because it's in your it's a legislation. shoulder thing that goes up. 
No, it's not. So a barrel shroud, shroud makes the, the rifle more deadly, right? Yeah, really, shrouds that barrel. <laughs> you know, a lot of what people come up with that do not know firearms, they just uh, do not like them, they hate them, and you know, so they're looking for reasons to hate them. They, they don't know anything about the cartridges. A bullet is dangerous, let's, let's face it. A hammer, a chainsaw, a ladder, a car, they're potentially dangerous. Subscribe to the Fox News YouTube channel to catch our nightly opens, stories that are changing the world and changing your life. I'm Tucker Carlson tonight.